unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And welcome once again to the show. Coming up from my stable of sport guys, Joe Finger will be here. We'll talk about early impressions of the shortened baseball season, some of the new rules, and also do a little baseball trivia. That's coming up as Joe stands by in the virtual green room, and he'll be here in just a few moments. Meanwhile, some other uh, sports topics to touch upon. LeBron James whines about being in the bubble. Come on, really? I know you miss your family. Totally get that. But come on, dude. you got millions and millions of dollars. You get to play a sport you love. And you're finishing out a season in a bubble environment. You're probably in the safest place you're ever going to be. And again, I get the fact that you want to be with your family and things like that. But whining about it, just not a good look. And as great as LeBron is, these little whiny moments he has... Just not a great optic. Well, now we can smell what The Rock is cooking. Dwayne Johnson buys the XFL. So we will have spring football yet again. (laughs) So XFL, will this be 3.0? But The Rock and his partners are bringing it back. And uh, hey, I'm all for spring football. So let's uh, let's bring it on. And hopefully uh, he will uh, instill... Yeah, I think, you know, Oliver Luck should be back in the mix as the commissioner. Thought he did a great job. And, and if they keep some of the things that were, were fine and dandy about the XFL, you know, I like it. Some of the rules, things they tried, the replay, how they handled it was way better than what the NFL does. So let's hope the XFL will have some ground to stand on for more than just a half a season as it was the second time around conference scheduling in college football and you know i hate to be that guy that that be the cynic but uh i still see this as the power five conferences taking advantage of an opportunity to try to build a further divide on the group of five schools and build their own infrastructure now they still have a little bit of infighting amongst themselves that uh, will probably prohibit it in the long run, but I think they're trying. I think they're trying. You know, with the several conferences, Big Ten, SEC going with only conference games, ACC doing a plus one model in which they have now affected some group of five schools as well. At least they're not totally shutting them out, but the uh, but the other conferences have and you look at a conference like the American UCF you know wanting to continue to build their case as a team that belongs in the upper echelon they'll lose a marquee game against North Carolina or at least on paper looks to be a marquee game they are able to salvage Georgia Tech on the road does help that Todd Stansberry, as a former athletic director at UCF, is now the AD at Georgia Tech. Navy thought they were going to get to host Notre Dame, but uh, the Irish go full tilt into the ACC. And with their one out of conference game, 
they're not going to play Navy. And because the game was being moved from Dublin, Ireland, it would have been the first time the Middies would have hosted the Irish at their home stadium. And yet that still won't happen. It'll be the first time they haven't played since 1927. Temple in Miami, the Manny Diaz Bowl will not take place, at least not this year. At least the schools have said they will reschedule later down the line. Again, I just don't like the smell that's coming from the Power Five. Taking, especially, you know that's what they ultimately want to do, and they're taking advantage of a difficult situation with the COVID-19 impacting the sports world the way it is. But turning to some good news, how about this? You gotta love it. Mackenzie Milton went for a checkup at the Mayo Clinic, and his mom has released some footage of him working out, going side to side, hopping on one leg, running backwards. Again, I still... Maintain a long shot that McKenzie Milton will play, but I've always said, and you're probably tired of hearing me say that he's the last guy I'd bet against. <laughs> and the more I see, the more I'm thinking, gosh, man, I'm hoping I am wrong about this. So definitely encouraging in the fact that he had a an injury that nearly cost him his leg. Where he has come is astronomical. And you think of Alex Smith with the Washington football team overcoming a broken leg where he nearly lost his leg and his life. Nice to have some feel-good stories in the sports world. It's now time to talk some baseball on today's show from my stable of sports guys. Joe Finger is here. We'll talk about... The early season impressions of this 60-game season. Do a little baseball trivia as well. And Joe, welcome back to the show. How are you? Doing good, Jeff. How's it going? It's going well. Uh, We have a baseball season, which we, last time we spoke, we're wondering if we would have one. And we do have a 60-game season and finally underway. And what are your impressions so far as we're about to hit the 20% mark of the year? Well, I'm glad there is a season. I know when... Last we spoke back in early June, I think you asked me, are we going to have a season? And I said, absolutely, 100% guaranteed. And then for about the next week, every day the headline was baseball season in jeopardy. And I thought, holy cow, you know, um, maybe this isn't going to happen. But, you know, it, it's, it's very strange. Um, my impression so far is that the fans haven't showed a lot of enthusiasm in, in the crowd. They seem... <laughs> Almost like cardboard cutouts to me. The lack of enthusiasm is palpable. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. They are cardboard cutouts. Um, So are you going to fork over, what is it, 70 bucks, 100 bucks or whatever, so that you can attend a a game in person or at least uh, your alter ego cardboard self? I I think the Braves have a $50 option. Is it 50? Uh, uh, I don't think so. I mean, they are supposedly doing this for now for charity, so yeah. maybe I'll look at that as a charitable contribution. But. Yeah, I, I asked my wife the other night about, uh, you know, what, I said, what if I forked over, I think the twins were 70, go figure, um, you know, 70 for a, I think it was a box seat 
uh, at uh, Target Field. She thought she thought I was nuts. She said, "Are you crazy? No way!" And I said, "Well, it'd be kind of kind of fun to do." Um, but I, I guess not. We could probably spend our money better elsewhere. But um, you know, I I, I got to be honest. One of the questions I have: Do you find yourself watching as much baseball as you normally do? About the same, or maybe more, maybe less? I would say as much. Uh, I've yeah. tuned in every Braves game that's been on thus far, and then uh, all of them have been on TV. Um, and the couple of times when I've had to suffer through the. Um, the Rays or Marlins broadcast, I'll flip on Braves audio through the is the word, right? <laughs> and listen to the Braves perspective of it. But uh, no, I find myself watching because I, you know, I just missed having it for so long that it's like, you know, yeah. it, and I can tell you that when baseball came back and we started seeing, you know, the NBA coming back, I felt my mood lift. Yeah. You know, I still follow the twins. I, I still check on the scores, the standings, the stats, just as much as I, I ever did, and I still feel depressed when they lose. Uh, as we are talking on this day, they, the Twins finally lost uh, to the Pirates of all teams. So that was a momentary blip. But, but yeah, I, if you love baseball, I think you are hoping and praying that uh, the players stay safe and that the season can run its full 60 games and we'll have something of a, a postseason and perhaps bring a bit of cheer to baseball fans and to the broader culture as well uh, during this pandemic. And in some respects, I guess uh, it's, it's baseball as usual, even if the fans aren't there. Although, you you know, for a place like Pittsburgh, it seems pretty normal or some of these other markets. I think they may go with the cardboard cutouts as a long term proposition. <laughs> um, but <laughs> any Pirates fans out there. But but, yeah, I think it's gone pretty well. I, it, a little scary with with the, you know, the uh, virus outbreak with the, um, the Marlins. And then the Cardinals as well, but they are both back now playing. And so we're just hoping that um, things will continue to, to progress. Um, you know, the, you mentioned the NBA, when the NBA came back, those, those guys are, are literally in a, in a bubble at Disney. The baseball players, I suppose, are living in something of a bubble when you compare it to what a normal um, – circumstance would be um they go on the road and it's just the ballpark or the hotel ballpark or the hotel and social distancing hopefully something that they're keeping in mind and so they have something of a bubble there we just hope that they'll be able to maintain that yeah the the fact that they have a moving bubble makes it a lot more challenging and oh, definitely uh, and and then of course you know they go back into their home markets and there's the you know they're being exposed to their family and and whatnot so there yeah. are a lot of a lot of things that they have to do to to make sure that uh, we do uh, get a full season in and you know, we may have some teams that don't get all six well yeah it takes a lot of discipline i heard a, an interview that Magic Johnson gave this week talking about more about the NBA side of it, but he said it would apply to baseball as well. And, and, you know, his interest in the Dodgers and involvement with the Dodgers is well known. He says it really takes discipline and commitment. Uh, He said even back in the day, back when the Lakers were winning all those titles, he, as the leader of that bunch, would basically get the guys to commit to basically live in a bubble for a couple of months when the playoffs are on. Did you have to have a solitary focus, be of singular mind, and that's probably magnified tenfold in today's climate, but that's literally what it's going to take, I think. 
Yeah, it will be uh, interesting to see how it progresses. And, you know, I think maybe the wake-up call has been delivered. And uh, I know baseball reinforced and added more protocols this week, um, trying to encourage more mask wearing and, and really trying to get a tight lid on things. Uh, but, yeah, you just saw quickly that one team uh, could easily wipe the whole thing out. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the, you know, the schedule is something like a house of cards. I mean, if they end up losing a lot of games, um, it's going to take some creative improvising to get back on track. It looks like maybe they're going to throw maybe a few extra double headers in there or something to try to um, uh, negate some of the lost games. Yeah, well, hey, you at least got to be happy. You got the uh, first place twins. My Braves are doing pretty well as, as well, so uh Lots of good things for you and I to be. Yeah, the, the twi- Twins and Yankees in the American League, uh, probably the two hottest teams right now. Not a not a big surprise there. They both had monster seasons last year. Uh, you know, the Twins have three of their starting pitchers. Well, two now, but at one time had three of their starting pitchers on the um, on the IL. And I've read where injuries seem to be up a little bit across the league. Maybe especially with pitchers and there's some suggestion that perhaps that's owing to the quick startup again after the layoff. Um, and I know in, in the case of the twins, uh, Rich Hill, a 40 year old left-hander who had been out for six months, geared it back up and pitched really well. And then uh, guess what? The next day he's so stiff, he can hardly move. <laughs> that sounds like a typical day for me, but I mean, these guys are professional athletes. So I think you're seeing a little bit of the, um, some concern there. The expanded roster certainly should should help with that. I know the Twins have been carrying, I think, fifteen pitchers in some in some games, so uh, that that helps to kind of obviate the need caused maybe by uh, injuries or creative shuffling of lineups in the current circumstance. The one thing I do find interesting is you know for all the talk of you know with expanded playoffs and and potentially surprise teams with a short season. We're still seeing that the really good teams are still the really good teams. Really good teams are the really good teams. Some, you know, you could have some sub-500 teams make the playoffs this year. I mean, with so many teams going to be in the postseason. But I think 60 games uh, should be enough for the teams that we know are good to show that, barring any sort of, you know, uh, exorbitant number of injuries. Um, but, you know, we're, I think we're already starting to see that to some extent. Um, certainly in the American League with the Twins and Yankees. And um, the Red Sox, we didn't think were going to be that great this year. And so far, they have uh, lived up to that. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when they decided to expand the playoffs, now typically I'm not a fan of making the playoffs bigger. In this case, I don't mind it just for the fact the season is so short that I think it does add a little extra if you're going to win the whole thing, you got a little extra mile to go. Yeah, I think we want to try to, you know, obviously from a marketing standpoint, you want to try to get fans involved, um, even if they are watching at home. Uh, and so I don't have a problem with it either. Um, obviously, this isn't something we would want to see every year where you've got, what, 16 teams making the postseason, but we're living in extraordinary times. So I, I, I certainly think that is, um, is justified. And uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on, you know, with the trade deadline now? I think it takes a different approach now because with so many more teams in the mix for a playoff yeah. spot, there's going to be fewer sellers in this case. Well, so I think well, that's, that's true. Uh, and I was 
again, back to the Red Sox for a moment, who are, are not doing that well. Uh, they still have some really good players, though. But the, the question they were debating is, should we, you put guys like Martinez or Jackie Bradley Jr. on the market to try to get some good young players, knowing that moving forward, the Red Sox are in that transition phase? Or do you hold steady just for this season, knowing that even though they aren't perhaps as strong as they normally are, they could still very easily make the postseason? But you're right. I think there's going to be more teams looking to buy than to sell. So if you are a seller, you might get quite a ransom this year. You know, that, that would be an upside for you. Maybe the Pirates are going to, <laughs> or some of those <laughs> clubs are probably going to benefit from that, maybe. Yeah. Um, what about some of the other changes that have come in play? So the extra inning rule with a runner on second. You know, my initial thought was, eh, maybe I don't know if I like this or not, but I've seen it in play a couple of times, and uh, I think I could learn to like it as a regular season uh, addition going forward. Maybe not for the playoffs, but it. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I thought about that, and I thought about, you know, the National Football League and how they've tweaked. I guess the only thing I can analogize it to would be overtime, you know, an overtime game in the NFL and they've tweaked the overtime rules. College football's tweaked the overtime rules over the years. And so I, I wouldn't, at first I thought no, but, but I, that's one I could live with. I don't know that I would support it mm-hmm. if it came to an up or down boat, but I'm, you know, I wouldn't raise a ruckus over it. I think um, it, it creates some interesting strategy and I'm all about the strategy. And, you know, so that just creates a different type of strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've seen teams play it both ways, swing away or bump the runner over to third and try to get the sack fly and to get the quick the quick uh, one run in. Yep, and again, it just depends on who you've got in that game, what the, the um, personality of your team is and what, what the other team's got out there against you. So it's just a different type of strategy, and it's kind of thrust on you in the moment, um, you know, because you inherit that runner on second base, and hopefully your bullpen is in pretty good shape. Otherwise, you could be in trouble in extra inning ball games. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, we've talked about this before, the universal DH, which is going to come to pass at some point and really long overdue whether you like it or not. It's like the metric system, Jeff. Sure. <laughs> I remember my ninth grade uh, Algebra One teacher back in 1973. <laughs> so, you know, the metric system is going to be here. And I said, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> And you were right. I don't know. Isn't that about the same time the DH came in in the 70s? It might yeah, have been a few years like, off. But. Yeah, it, yeah, early 70s. Yeah, no, um, having to learn the metric system. You, I don't know. Uh, you may be right. Um, we'll, we'll see how this goes and how it's received. This, this could add a little impetus to those who maybe want to push it in that direction. Yeah, you know, in, in as much as I like the, the pitchers hitting, in recent years, pitchers do not put the time in. To hit, so they're basically a wasted out anyway. You know, the Braves staff of the uh, the great staff of the '90s. You know, those guys were were ruthless and trying to be the best hitter on the team. Yeah, I can remember some of those guys. Absolutely. You know, they had they had cash payouts for you know being the top hitting pitcher. So Matt, you know, now Maddox wasn't a very good hitter, was he, Greg Maddox? Maddox was not, but he could he he could sacrifice. He was okay, very, he, he can was, handle the bat, which is a big handle, deal. Yeah, he yeah. yeah he could at least put the ball in play. Smoltz was a really good hitter. Glavin was a really good hitter. Yeah. Um. You know, but the pitchers really don't put that time in anymore, and they you know they don't hitting the minor leagues anymore. Well, that's uh, part of it right there. You know, yeah. Uh, back in the day, uh, you know, pitchers were, were never known as being great hitters, but there were a lot of guys back when we, you know, when we were kids, uh, you would not consider certain pitchers to be automatic outs at all. Yeah. I mean, and they would occasionally be good enough to be called on to pinch hit. 
Uh, but you, you're right. You don't see that very much these days because a lot of the guys come up and they're not used to hitting. And you're right. They're not going to spend a lot of time working on that part of their game. Yeah. And you see, you know, basically the only guy I know of right now that I can just name off the top of my head is Zach Grinky. Yeah, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, you're right about Grinky. But I, yeah, it's a non-issue. It doesn't even register with me who, who would really be a, a good hitting pitcher in the yeah. National League. Well, speaking of pitching, one thing that I've observed a lot is I think I'm seeing, in comparison to recent years, seeing more strikes called and particularly check swing strikes. They seem to be up, in my opinion. Have you come to any observations? You mean from, a, from the umpire standpoint? You mean calling more strikes? Yeah, yeah, I see, yeah I see more strikes being called, uh, and particularly on check swing situations. I'm seeing that. I think I've seen more hmm. check swing strikes this year in the, what, two weeks of baseball that I've had in the last 10 years. That's interesting. What, what, to what would you attribute that? I mean, do you have a theory on that? You know, unless they've kind of come together and say, hey, you're really going to, you know, watch the check swing situation this year. Some uh, sort of uh, a secret you, meeting or, yeah, or an the, unspoken. Or, you know, where they always say we're going to put more emphasis on that this year. And then, of course, you know, later in the season, it, it, it may all change and be thrown out the window. Who well, knows? We know, well, you know, we strikeouts are up over the last, you know, I mean, like there's some guys, I can think of a few on the twins like Miguel Sano. He's either going to hit a home run or strike out probably 80% of the time. So we know the strikeouts are up and – this makes me think of something I was reading this week as well, and that is, and I think it kind of ties in with strikes and strikeouts, and that's the role of the dominant closer in baseball. There's some sense now that the era of having a one single dominant closer on teams may be going by the boards, and that, that's measured by, I think last year, I've got some stats here in front of me, there were only 16 relievers with at least 25 saves last year. That's a fairly low um, compared to the past 15 to 20 years. Or you would say 40 or 50, yeah. Or maybe, yeah, yeah, right. Uh, but uh, teams that have a lead going into the ninth inning are still winning at about a 95% clip. So it's not like we're seeing a lot of blown leads in the ninth. So whoever's in there is getting the job done at about the same pace and I was thinking about that you know before we went on today like what to what would I attribute that um and I know the twins are a good example of that uh, Taylor Rogers just kind of inherited that closer role about two seasons ago toward the end they, they didn't really have anybody it was like a you know by committee um other teams have been in that position as well but it seems like a lot there are a lot of flamethrowers um in the bullpens these days there are a lot of guys you can bring in who, you know, are throwing mid nineties up. So maybe, maybe it's due to having that, those kind of more of those kinds of arms. Um, mm. That's one possibility. Um, but, but a lot of strikeouts, yeah. a lot of strikeouts. Yeah. And I would also think they're probably also maybe doing more pitch counts on guys, not trying to overuse them through the course of the week. Uh, I know the Braves, you know, Mark Melanson is the, is the, quote unquote the closer, but they got Will Smith coming back who is a, a, a talented closer of his own right. So they and the Shane Green can close games. They have a number yeah. of options that they could uh, use in any particular situation. Well, you know, it's interesting the evolution of the game is, is ever fascinating. I mean every time we get we get together and talk about it, it, it I, I think of new things even as we're talking and 
I think back when we were kids and first watching baseball, there really weren't dominant closers at that time. I, I didn't even hear the term closer for quite a while. Um, and then that became a phenomenon Late in the 70s, probably. 70s and 80s. Yeah. I remember the, like, the goose gossage of the Yankees and some of those guys were the first ones. I remember like, wow, this guy's big and he throws so fast. He's going to just mow you down. Uh, but the, the first Minnesota Twins World Series team in 65, Al Worthington, I guess, was the closer. But he wasn't really a dominant type of pitcher. And you know, these were really great teams during that era. and They didn't really have a closer. So maybe we've come full circle um, on that a bit. Uh, and what's, what's this, you know, pitch counts. There's another thing. Yeah. We never used to have pitch counts. Look, real guys go out and start 40 games a year, throw 300 innings and <laughs> complete 25 games. And, and you never, they never had arm trouble, did they, Jeff? Or, or maybe they did. I don't know. I mean, it, you know, it's hard to remember in some cases, but, you know, the, you know the guys would win 20 games a year. Yeah, you know, it, you know that was considered the you know, if you were a twenty game winner, you had some what of a subpar season. What was that one uh, Orioles Baltimore team had four twenty game winners? I forget exactly what year that was. Um, were that McNally, Quayar, Palmer, and Stone? Maybe I don't. Yeah, me. Yeah, maybe it was a Steve Stone. Yeah, but they had four twenty game winners. I mean, that's eighty wins right there from your starters, uh, and I'm sure they didn't rely too much on the bullpen. Yeah. Um, and you but, think about that because I guess, you know, recently there was an anniversary of one of uh, Greg Maddox's gyms where he threw 75 pitches. That's oh, there, maybe yeah. three and two thirds innings today. And for, for, <laughs> oh my for gosh. A guy. I know you're looking at that pitch count. It's like, you just know if a guy has got so many pitches after about the third inning, he's going to be lucky to go to the fifth. Yeah. Inning. You, you just know it's coming. Yeah. Um, so, Maybe I was thinking we're going to cut down on the strikeouts. Maybe we let's get radical here and go to a fourth strike and, you know, four strikes and you're out. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> I think pitchers would have a terrible would, time with it. Yeah. They would form their own union. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that, yeah, it, it would be interesting to see. Or, or how about this? How about um, you got two strikes on you, and if you hit on the third foul ball, on the third two-strike foul, you're out. We're not going to have a guy stand up there all day and hit ten foul balls. Come on. <laughs> you know? Now you got now, now you got the hitters ticked off. I'll put that out there. Let's put that out there. <laughs> yeah, well, I know strikeouts were up quite a bit, too, because, you know, they really didn't have much of a, you know, summer camp to get ready. I mean, and a lot of the big hitters like uh, Yelich and Acuna oh. Jr. were striking out. And now Acuna Jr.'s turned himself around in a week's time. Yeah, so and the, I, you're right. There was a stretch there where it was clear to me that the pitching was ahead of the hitting. I know the, the Twins and Indians had a series where uh, the Indians really shut the Twins down at, from uh, offensively, but Minnesota took three out of four in that series because their pitching was great as well. And so the, the, the good pitching dominated the good hitting in that series. But that should, like you were saying, I think should begin to level out a bit as we go further into yeah. this uh, strange season. And, of course, I think the emphasis now, as we've talked about pitch counts and things like that, the teams that are going to have the, the, the strong bullpens that can get you from inning five to the end of the game are going to be the ones that uh, have some advantages. Well, definitely. And – you know, uh, something else we never used to see was this 
phenomena of pitching a bullpen game. <laughs> you just bring your bullpen guys in yeah. and have them take over. Uh, I used to think about why didn't teams do that years ago, actually. Like, well, why, why not? <laughs> do something different, right? I was ahead of my time on that. So you, got, you got a deep bullpen. Hey, let's just start them in the first inning. I mean, what difference does it make what inning it is? If they can throw strikes, put them out there. So, um, but that's why you got to love baseball. Every year is something new, for sure. Yeah, we, we definitely see that definitely all the time. Any other impressions of the season to this point that have, uh, you know, caught your attention? Um... Do you know what um, – how, how, how deep are you into the modern baseball statistics? There are so many statistics out there now. And I'm kind of a nerdy guy, but I, there are a lot of them I, I can't keep up with. You know, I, I know what an RBI is. I know what a war is, a WAR. Do you know what a FIP is? Oh, I heard this brought up the other day, and I don't exactly remember. I did not know until last night. <laughs> <laughs> And I had a nightmare. Jeff's going to ask me what I think about um, um, Sean Bieber of the Indians' incredible negative .038 FIP. <laughs> As I understand it, it basically is, it stands for Fielding Independent Pitching. It attempts to measure how dominant a pitcher is by taking out plays in which the defense plays a role in the outcome. So it just looks at the extent to which a pitcher can dominate a game by creating plays that only a pitcher can control, such as recording a strikeout, a walk, a hit batter, or giving up a home run. In other words, where the defense is not really playing a role um, in the outcome. They attempt to kind of uh, – there's some type of formula they, they use to account for the defense, but it's just it's a different measure of the uh, dominant uh, performance of a pitcher. It's called a fit. Huh. Fielding independent pitching. I feel like I need to take a uh, continuing education course in baseball statistics. You've got to find a master class for that. I'm going to have to do that. <laughs> uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to do a show just on that. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> it is amazing to the depth of statistics they come to now. Uh, one of the Braves telecasts I was uh, watching, and this was probably, I think this was back when they were playing the race, so this would have been around the sixth or seventh game of the season. Right. And they were talking about the Braves had seen the most fastballs of any team in the major oh, leagues. Oh, and it yeah. was by like 40 pitches. It was a astronomical number and also an inordinate number of sliders. It was uh, very interesting well, to see the breakdown on that, that now we, we've gotten to count, uh, counting the pitches that yes. minute. And now there, I, I can't speak totally intelligently to this, but something similar to what you described came up last year in something I was reading involving the Twins in, in terms of the type of pitches they were beginning to see. Now, of course, they were on that home run rampage. So teams adjust their pitching style according to the trajectory the opposing team is on. And so certain teams began to see a lot more breaking pitches or off-speed stuff. So I think that that's just another way that analytics has – uh, informed the the intelligent managing of a ball game, mm -hmm. um, but you're, but it's interesting. You know, you were looking at it in terms of what the Braves were seeing, and that, that has something to do, I would think, with the um, personality of the team. It's sort of like um, 
one of those online dating services. We, we need to match up the offense against the defense to create a compatible interaction. Or maybe not, <laughs> but, but it, it's all about analytics. But that's relationships, isn't it, Jeff? I mean, yeah. baseball is all about the relationships. <laughs> yeah, and some Listen, are good and some aren't so much, hitter. right? <laughs> pitcher to hitter. <laughs> Give me your best stuff. Give me your best pickup line. <laughs> no, maybe not. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, uh, are you ready to do a little baseball trivia? We're, yeah, let's do, yeah we, we, we talked about that last time a little bit. And, yeah. um, so so I, let me see if I can dig out what I have here. Yeah, so do you want to alternate or? Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, if we do a little show prep on the fly here, uh, that's okay. Um, yeah. All right, so I'll, uh, I'll throw the first one out here for you. Okay. What MLB franchises have been in the most locations? Which current franchises have been in the most locations? Yes. Um, well, I, wow. The, the, right off the top of my head, the Braves come to mind. That's um, correct. That's Boston, Boston, Milwaukee, Atlanta? Yep, correct. Okay. All right. Well, I've got the perfect <laughs> – I've got the perfect uh, fastball groove right down the middle for you, then. There is uh, one more team, actually, uh, that uh, has been in three locations. Oh, there's a, is there – how many teams were there? So, so two total. Two total. Let me th- – um, uh, American League or National League? I know so you didn't this, say this, this, this will be American. American League? Yep. I got a cat here in my uh, home studio running around like crazy, but that's normal. Um, so if you hear I think me, I have one in here in my office too. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. So I'm doing a quick inventory, quick inventory. Um, wow. Um, so uh, uh, what American League team has been? Think, in? Uh, think West Coast. West Coast. Um, uh, Ranger, what? No, it's not the Rangers, is it? Uh, no, no, they were not the, the, Mar- the Mariners. No, no, Actually, I get three, the... three, three strikes. You have three strikes here. Hold on, hold on, three strikes or four okay. strikes under my proposal. So, <laughs> uh, okay, so West Coast team. Um, geez, uh, well, I, the Oakland of uh, Philadelphia, Kansas City, and Oakland. Yeah, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Hit, the, yeah. hit the 0-2 fastball into the left field bullpen. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Get the, get the bell in there. Uh, there, there, there we go. So you, oh, that reminds me. Um, I, I was going to ask you this earlier. Have you noticed uh, any change in the – this is off topic a little – well, not really off topic. It's all baseball. But I, you had Chip Carry on recently. Mm-hmm. But have you noticed any change – perceptible change in the style or delivery of the broadcast teams as a result of doing games where, where there are no fans. I have not really. I, I think they're, I think they get, once they get uh, focused on calling the game that, yeah. you know, they're kind of like the players. They are really not paying attention to the fans. Now, they have not made any mention of, you know, on a great play, listen to this crowd. You know, like you yeah, listen, hear, right? just listen to this crowd. Yeah, you can hear so. a pin drop in this place. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I was just wondering, you know, I mean, like on a big play, are they still giving it the big? Um, I think they punch it up for the for, excitement that yes. they normally would. 
Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and I think in that case, you know, a lot of these guys are called minor league baseball where there's, you know, nobody there. You know, can you 20, say, can you say Tinker Field? Uh, <laughs> yeah. When, <laughs> when, when you're, when the, you're, well, hey, remember when, when I was doing the Kissimmee Cobras and you I joined the Osceola County game. Stadium. Yes. I remember and, sitting up in the booth with you one time years ago. Yeah. And there yeah. were maybe 30 people in the stands. <laughs> <laughs> We loved it. We absolutely loved it. Yes, exactly. So, so, so I think by and large, those guys are professional and still know how to capture the moment. Yeah, I just wondered. Yeah, yeah, it would be interesting to to to, um, what they would say, whether whether they are having to make a conscious effort to to do that, or whether it's just spontaneous as always. Yeah, I think certainly having a real crowd, other than the piped-in noise. Yeah. would certainly uh, be. make the moment, you know, resonate more with us. But I think, you know, if you're a fan, you enjoy the big play. Yeah, and I'm just thinking for the, the poor stand-up comedians who come out now in the, in the clubs all over America with no audience. I mean, I just, I don't, I don't get it. <laughs> I mean, no one's laughing. They have the cardboard cutouts in, there, in the club, too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what a dead crowd. <laughs> you can could, you could pay 10 bucks to be a cardboard cutout at <laughs> a comedy club. <laughs> you know, get the deluxe edition. They're going to, did you hear about they're going to get a deluxe edition of this? I don't know what this is going to cost. Probably, you know, 500. Uh, your cardboard cutout will come equipped with an audio uh, box in which you can heckle an umpire. <laughs> nice. <laughs> And the umpires must be loving this because you don't hear any of the cat calls from the from the crowd, right? Yeah, they're 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 they're, they're going to want twenty twenty to keep going. <laughs> and our managers coming out to to argue, and if they do, they've got they've got to keep at least six feet away, right? Yeah, so. yeah. Although you know that's one thing too, you don't see a lot of managerial arguments like you used to either. Not as many. Yeah, uh, yeah. That, that's interesting. Does anyone keep stats on that number of times a manager comes out to argue? That would be an that would be an interesting statistic. Well, I know Bobby Cox was thrown out more than any other manager. I think, I think they keep that's stats on that. Yeah, so they do yeah. keep that sad. But and as this cardboard cutout thing begins to take off, are we going to start keeping official attendance figures <laughs> again? I mean, I miss seeing that the little A, and then a dash, and then thirty four thousand two hundred eighty one or whatever. I, I miss that. I look at that, and if there's something is missing. Yes, or you hear the internal, uh, the the because you know they have public address announcers inside the press box for the broadcasters. Ooh, yes, and, and then you always hear them at the back tonight's attendance thirty four thousand two hundred thirty two. <laughs> tonight's attendance zero. Thank you for coming and drive safely. <laughs> uh, oh man, see, it's the little things like this that make a great baseball game. There you go. It really is. There you go. I mean, anyway. So right. back, trivia. trivia for trivia. All right. Yes. This, um, <laughs> I almost feel like this, this, I'm just lobbying. This is like an ethos pitch or something. Um, this brave is the only one to play in all three franchise cities, Boston, Milwaukee, and Atlanta. All three. Well, I want to say Hank, but I don't think he played in Boston. That was my first guess, and you're right. He didn't quite make Boston. He missed it by that much. <laughs> uh, Eddie Matthews. Eddie Matthews, that's right. His rookie season was the last one the franchise had in Boston, 54, from what I'm seeing here. 
1954. Um, in fact, he was featured on Sports Illustrated that year as an outstanding rookie mm. and then played through the Milwaukee period and then finished up in Atlanta. And by the time I was old enough to follow baseball, he was, he was um, in, let's see, um, Atlanta in 66. What year did they go to Atlanta? 66 is when yeah. they, yeah. And it would have been near the end of his career, right? Because yeah, you, know, right. you, don't, you don't hear much talk of him as an Atlanta Brave. Right. And I associate him more with, with Milwaukee, actually. Yeah. Some old baseball cards and such. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So Eddie Matthews played 15 of his 17 seasons with the Braves including Milwaukee's only World Series championship in 57, in which he hit a 10th inning home run to win game four and made the final put out in game seven. Wow. <laughs> you know, and it was all downhill from there, I guess. But no, that was a, that was a great. Yeah, and he was a great player. Yeah, neither one of us were on this planet at that time, Jeff. Not, not even me. <laughs> yeah. no, it's hard to believe. All right, well, I do have a somewhat of an, an additional Braves question that uh, – okay. And I think you'll get this one. Marcelo Zuna's home run on opening weekend to tie the game went down to the last strike. Was the first time that happened in a Braves-Mets game since when? So say that one again. Marcelo Ozuna, his home run on opening weekend to tie the game went down to the very last strike. Was the first time that happened in a Braves-Mets game since when? Braves Mets were went down to the last strike. Ooh, it's a Man, rather I'm a blank it, on this one. You want to give me a It's a rather it's a it's a rather infamous game in the 1980s. An, an infamous game between the Braves and the Mets. Jeez. Think Independence oh. Day. Oh, is that the July Fourth? Game, the Rick uh, the, Camp game, the brouhaha. Oh, that I had forgotten that. The seventeen, the they went seventeen, and that, it was a, that that game that uh, Chip Carey really was at the ballpark all night long and came in late the next morning. Well, his dad was Skip Carey. Yes. <laughs> oh my! I, I golly, you're right. And, and I remember hearing, um, um, oh, what was the the. Um, the announcer for the Braves at that. Don't tell John me. Sterling was the John, play-by-play. John, John Sterling just went crazy when Rick, Rick Camp, Rick Camp, the most crazy, wacky game. Uh, yeah. Only because, only because he somewhat kind of predicted it, and so he had to glorify himself uh, in the moment because he even said, well, if Rick Camp hits a home run here, oh, this yeah, will be the most yeah. incredibly That's right. and Rick absurd Camp, game you've ever seen. <laughs> Rick Camp was not a good hitting pitcher. I mean, he was like 047 or something, right? And, oh, yeah. Yeah, he was terrible. And, and, and he came up again in the 17th yeah. as the last out yeah. again. Against Ron Darling, and who, who did he? It was who was Darling? Who was who did he hit the home run off of? Oh gosh, you know that I, I don't remember. Well, you know, and he he was a decent pitcher back in that day, and I can't remember yeah. right offhand who it was. You know, I may have to may have to. But do to give up a home run to well, you know, he probably he's probably thinking I'm just going to strike this guy out. I'm just going to fire it right down the middle or whatever. Was it a fastball? I don't even know. I mean, how did Rick Camp 
even get a hold of the ball. Yeah, it was uh, it was the. Let's see here. We'll use a we'll use a little Google cheating on this one. Uh, Tom Gorman was the pitcher for the Mets. Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, yeah not a, not. He wasn't, wow. you know, didn't have a long career, but I yeah. guess he had some pretty decent seasons. Yeah, he was a legitimate pitcher. Yeah. Wow. Okay. But how about, yeah, but, but, uh, but uh, yeah, the Marcelo Zuna home run on the opening weekend was actually the first time that had happened since then in, in wow. a Braves-Mets matchup. <laughs> many, many years. Wow. It was back in the day of Fulton County Stadium. It was hot. The, the locusts were out flying around the end. No, anyway. And that's I what rem- I remember. And I'll tell you what also I remember. You and I were both doing morning shift at WKIS the next day. Oh, is that right? Yes. Because <laughs> you had told me your brother was still watching the game when you had got when you when you would come into work. We used to watch a lot of Braves games on TBS. Yeah. We sure did. Yeah. Um, but no, I didn't um how how how, how much of that game did you watch? I, I think I got to maybe the tenth or the eleventh, and I fell asleep you with I fell asleep with it on. I woke up later and it was still on, and fell asleep again. <laughs> so it, it was oh wow, yeah, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, those were the days we were we were doing the, the morning show. All right, here's one for you. This is not a Braves or Twins question. Um, the question is, which major league player was the very first member of the forty forty club? 40 home runs and 40 stolen bases in one season. I'm going to say Jose Canseco. Woo! Look at you on fire. <laughs> Canseco. And a little known fact here, Jeff, it was actually the 40-40-40 club for him that year. It was 40 home runs, 40 stolen bases, and 40 errors in right field. Not many people realize that, but... Uh, <laughs> Not true. Not true. Did the ball bounce off his head that season? You know, I was going to say, what's the, if somebody were to ask me, what's the first thing you think of, you know, as a baseball fan, when you hear the name, like free association, and we just toss names out here and say the first thing that pops into your mind, Jose Canseco. <laughs> ball doink off the head. <laughs> Boy, ball doinking off the head on the famous YouTube video. Maybe steroids. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's the first thing I remember. But this guy had a great, I'm thinking he had a great season. 42 home runs, 40 stolen bases, 1988 with the Oakland Athletics. Three players have done it since. Three players have done that since. So you take a stab at it. Well, we must be in sync here because you know what my next question was going to be? Oh, okay. Who was the first player to do 50 home runs and 50 doubles in a season? 50 home runs and 50 doubles in a season. Um, um, I'll say Alex Rodriguez. Not Alex Rodriguez. Not Alex Rodriguez. <laughs> Although in his mind, he probably thinks he did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he actually was one of those who, who had the 40-40 with yes. the Mariners back in the Yeah, who were the other 40-40s? Uh, uh, Barry Bonds. Bonds. Yep, okay. Barry Bonds in uh, 96. And then Alfonso Soriano with the uh, the Nationals in 2006. 46 home runs and 41 stolen bases. Yes, and Ronald Acuna Jr. was threatening that last year. He was three Came stolen bases short of the, very close. doing that. 
Uh, 50 home runs and 20 doubles. Uh, what doubles. year was it? I'm going to have to ask for help on this. 1995. One. 95? Uh, Sammy Sosa. I don't know. No. Sammy Sosa. I was, I was going to say it's not a Brave since I've been doing a lot of Brave stuff. <laughs> um, but I'll give you this. They, they played the Braves of the World Series. In 95. The player that was on the team that played the Braves in the World Series in 1995. Is that the year the Braves won the World Series? That is correct. See, I did so turn they, it around into a Braves Indian. So they, they beat the Indians that year. Yes. So this was a Cleveland Indian. 50 home runs. And 50 doubles. And 20 doubles. 50 doubles. 50 doubles. 50-50, yeah. Oh, 50-50. Yeah. 50 doubles and 50 home runs? Yes. Wow. And I did not check to see who's done it since. Wow, <laughs> so. I don't think anybody's done that since. Um, I don't know, Jeff. You, you got me on this one. He was a bit of a um, an enigma. He was a player that uh, player that people thought was a little strange. Yeah, I'll know him as soon as you say it, but I'm drawing a blank. Albert Bell. Oh, Albert Bell. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, for whom the bell tolls. Oh, <laughs> uh, must just say he answered his own bell. <laughs> Probably um, a lot of times. Wow, I had forgotten that, but what a phenomenal accomplishment. Yeah. 50. A, 50. Yeah, because like, you know, oh, guys like Hank Aaron and Willie, Willie Mays never did both in the same season. In fact, because like Hank Aaron never had 50 home runs in a season. So. Well, so were all of those home runs legitimate, Jeff? <laughs> that, I think you could uh, – you could probably put a little shade gray on. You probably could definitely say. 1995. Hmm. That would have been yeah. in the juiced era. Yeah. Wow. Well, I've got one more for you, and it also deals with home runs. Um, which major league team holds the record for having the most players in one season to hit at least 30 home runs? How many players did they have, and who were they? Give me that question one more time, please, Regis. Okay, which, which major <laughs> league team holds the record for having the most players during one season to hit at least 30 home runs? They had five 30-plus guys on their roster. So, obviously, a team with some clout. You can ask for hints if yes. you want to. Uh, major market? No. <laughs> that really didn't help me much. <laughs> uh, can I buy a vowel? Um, boy. Any yes or no question. Just like on the game shows. If I can answer it with a yes or a no. Since 2000. Yes. Would it be the Minnesota Twins? It would be the Minnesota Twins. <laughs> Last season. Last season, so the the, the five. Now, guys, you're the Braves expert, but you know some of the twins. So who do you think some of those five were? Well, Cruz has got to be definitely one of those guys. Nelson Cruz, definitely. Yes. Whew. In fact, he, um, I think, led the team, or was tied. Yeah, he led the team. Yeah, with 37. Yeah, it's so a boy. Really, it's uh, the other five. Oh, gosh. 
one was a catcher. Uh, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, so it was Cruz. Uh-huh. Uh, Max Kepler. Kepler, okay, yep. Free-swinging Eddie Rosario, who never saw a pitch he didn't like. <laughs> uh, Miguel Sano, ditto. Sano, I should have... I should have... Sano, yeah. Yeah, he came on late last year and uh, played pretty well. And then Mitch Garver, the catcher, had a breakout season, hit 30 home runs. So, yeah, five thirty plus, And I think, what was it? They had 307 at the end. So yeah, the that was a, incredible. Yeah. Just a, yeah, we've talked about that on some of the previous podcasts last year, of course, with the, the but, record base for home runs. But think about that. That's, just, that's, uh, that's amazing. They have five go, five go over 30. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that we'll see that. Well, obviously not going to see it this year, but uh, who knows? And we, you know, was the ball a bit juiced up last year? I think we thought perhaps it was. Um, yeah, there's still some question about that too. But but then you know, we didn't see a lot of home runs in the playoffs. That's true. So and the Twins didn't have many either. Um, yeah. Of course, they're playing the Yankees. They never do anything when they play the Yankees. But it's another yeah. story. Well, uh, you know, you know. Speaking of trivia and records, so there was a, you know, constantly new records are being set. So here's an interesting trivia question, kind of a bonus. Uh, this is from this earlier this season. Which major league relief pitcher holds the record for consecutive strikeouts in a relief appearance? Consecutive strikeouts in a relief appearance. Coming on in relief, the record for most consecutive strikeouts set about a week or so ago. Oh goodness gracious. How did I miss that? In relief. Yeah. You're going to have to give that one to me. Yeah. Uh, young guy, Tyler Alexander of the Tigers struck out nine in a row against Cincinnati. Oof. Nine in a row. Mowed him down. By the way, that's only one short of the major league record for consecutive strikeouts by any pitcher starting or relieving. And, you know, there's another trivia. Who holds the major league record with major league record. 10, 10 strikeouts in a row? Kerry Wood. Great guess, not Kerry Wood. My first guess on this one was uh, Roger Clemens. That's not it either. Clayton it is a, well, it's a Hall of, Hall of Fame pitcher. It's not an obscure name. Not an obscure but name. From the mostly known for his great years in the 70s, early 70s, throughout the 70s. Hall of Fame pitcher. Hall of Fame pitcher. Uh, came up in the late 60s, pitched through the 70s, and through probably early 80s or so. Frank Tanana. Frank, interesting guess. No, not Frank Tanana. <laughs> uh, New York Met. New York Met, Tom Seaver. Tom, Tom Seaver, yeah, 1970. Okay. Look wow. out 10, um, San Diego Padres. So there ought to be a little asterisk there because it was against San Diego. But, uh, <laughs> but 10. And this, this kid, Tyler Alexander. Um had nine in a row, then hit the 10th batter on an 0-2 pitch, breaking the streak, and then oh. came back and struck out the next hitter. Oh, man. So he was yeah. that yeah, close to doing the Could record. 11 in a row. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. wow. He's, in the, he's in the books. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, if it, if it was early in this season, he, he, he was at, at the right place at the right time to get that done. <laughs> yeah. All these little bits of trivia constantly emerging. You know, and at least we'll see some, you know, some some interesting things happen during the season that you, you still don't see every day, like we always talk about. <laughs> it, absolutely. Absolutely. And we've already seen it a few times. All right. Uh, 
All right, so we're going to take a break here, and then um, Joe's going to stick around because he's doing our TV theme this week as uh, we do our TV theme to close the show, and we will do that right after this. Five reasons why you should listen to or advertise with Captain and Company in the morning. One, just under four decades of professional broadcasting experience. AM, FM, online. Two, programming music you listened to before you settled down and started a family. Three, live every weekday morning just as reliable as your automobile. Four, no spin doctor here. I just can't fix stupid. Five, if you got this far, please go back to reason number one. Weekday mornings right here on your favorite online station. Our primary objective is to keep the groove. I got peace. Oldschool101.com. Forget about it. That's our TV theme for this week from Room 222. Joe Finger, your selection. Tell us about it. September 17th, 1969, debuted on ABC and was marketed and promoted as a half-hour comedy, but it quickly became apparent that the show was going to tackle some fairly serious issues. And the laugh track from season one was dropped The show went on for a successful four-year run, won several Emmy Awards, including Best New Show in 1970. Uh, Michael Constantine, who played Principal Seymour Kaufman at the fictional high school, won the Best Supporting Actor Award in 1970. And Karen Valentine, my first um, love affair from afar. who played uh, Alice Johnson, the English teacher. These days we would call it language arts, won the Best Supporting Actress uh, in 1970 as well. And she's still pretty hot all these years later, I might add. <laughs> uh, but it was a great, a great cast. Uh, Lloyd Haynes, a great actor, played Pete Dixon, the U.S. history teacher. And Denise Nicholas um, played the guidance counselor, uh, Liz McIntyre, on that show. And I absolutely loved the show, and I love the, the 
theme music as well. One of my favorite all-time themes. Yeah, Denise Nicholas also went on later down the road to be in the heat of the night. That's right, with Carol O'Connor. She was yeah. great in that as well, absolutely. And Michael Constantine uh, has had a very lengthy, successful career as well. There you go. And of course, that was a uh, 69 to 74. And uh, I guess they were on a, what you would call a mega hit Friday night lineup uh, uh, during those days, the Brady Bunch, the Partridge family, right, the Odd the couple TV. and love American style. Love American. Now that was a killer line. Friday nights of a barren wasteland now on network television. <laughs> Back in the day, Friday night, Saturday night, that's where all the best shows were on. Yeah. Absolutely. And you did mention the interesting aspect that they did, you know, uh, uh, tackle some pretty uh, hefty issues during that time. I guess you would think about Vietnam. You know, they really did. Uh, uh, racial discrimination. Um, Women's rights. Gay students. These were topics that were not commonly addressed in a half hour primetime show back, back in that period. And they did it tastefully. It wasn't very preachy. Uh, and so, so they had a nice blend of lighter moments with some, some seriously um, uh, portrayed topics on the show. And I, I think that's what, I, to me, was one of the great appeals of that show. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned Karen Valentine, which, uh, yeah, she was on a lot of people's lists. Um, yeah, and she, she would go on to what she would do at the time, Jeff. I mean, she was yeah. just a youngster. But, yeah, yeah. she was... Great. I remember the poster. I had a black and white poster in my bedroom. I remember it like it was yesterday. <laughs> and, and, you know, she would go on to be like one of those uh, guest stars on things like The Love Boat and shows Hollywood like that. Squares. Hollywood Square. Yeah, did a lot of the game show circuits. Yeah. She did. Yeah. But, uh, had her own show briefly uh, on ABC. I think it might have lasted for a season, uh, known as Karen. Um, but, yeah. And she also played in a Gidget, made a movie of the week movie. Um sometime around that time as well. Yeah. Um, and of course your selection for this TV theme being that you are an educator yourself is, uh, uh yeah, your motivation yeah. for picking this one. Public school system going on 14 years. So we're at that time when we're going back now. And I, I remember back, you know, years ago, uh, watching room 22, room 222 and thinking what an altruistic tone that show set for what teachers were there, uh, to accomplish. And of course, I know it was television, but a lot of those issues they addressed then are definitely played out every single day in classrooms across the country. Yeah. Interesting stuff. I wonder, if, would that show be the kind of show you could do a reboot on? You know, reboots are rather popular these days. I think it, it, you could. I mean, because of the serious nature of some of the storylines that were done at that time, it could certainly be updated and scripted for the, the world in which we live today. Now, could you recapture the chemistry uh, that that particular cast had? Who knows? That, that's always something you, um, it, it, it defies easy categorization. Yeah, no question. Well, Joe, thanks for making the pick this week, and uh, thanks for all the baseball knowledge. Uh, this is a whole lot of fun, as always. I'm going to go uh, binge watch some old Room 222 episodes now. <laughs> there you, where do you have, so where do you find that? <laughs> I've, got you find I've got the DVD, Jeff. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, there you go. So I don't think it's be, on any streaming service right now. Yeah, I was say, so Joe will be taking care of that in three, two, one. And, uh, again, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. All right, and with that, we are done here. 
Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net.